Okay, I can't, I can't hear you at all, Nathan. How's that? Ah, now I can. Had the old uh, manual break on. Oh, there's a bit of unnecessary breathing on that mic there. I don't know, breathing's generally quite necessary <laughs> to, you know, not die. I apologise in advance if there's going to be any squeals in the background today, because I have failed at my task before 8 o'clock. <laughs> Did you just pass the child to your poor long-suffering wife? Yeah, I, I've tapped out. <laughs> I actually just about made it in home, made it home in time to spend thirty seconds with Oliver tonight. That it? Well, before you fell asleep, or before you had to hand him over? Well, before, no, before bedtime, because then I had to have my tea, so I couldn't. Yeah, it's been a long week. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, it seems like there's a chance we will all be somewhat night terrors in this episode. <laughs> but what an episode for a nice, slow, relaxing podcast. <laughs> Cue that thing, Jim. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 9 of Remedial Nerding. This week we're watching Cupid, which is Season 4, Episode 20 of The Next Generation. How are we on episode 9 already? Well, TNG is on episode 94, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, about a 10 to 1 ratio. So, this is an odd episode. It's fun, but it's odd. Like pretty much every Q episode is. Do we want to start this out with position in the distribution like we did last week? Because I suspect there might be another split opinion. I would probably put this like f- like bottom four fifths. <laughs> so not in the top twenty percent, you're saying? And correct. This is a very good. Oh God, I am so hungover. I need to watch something that's completely stupid. Whilst the aspirin kicks in. Yeah, that was my thought whilst watching this. This this is just so daft. It's so silly. You know, I was going to describe it as ideal for a family at six o'clock before dinner. <laughs> and I guess <laughs> being 12 and being hungover are pretty similar experiences. So <laughs> maybe that works. No, I think this is terrible. Expunge it from the record, bottom 20%. It is such a weird opening <laughs> as well. Just having Picard geeking out over archaeology. And this, is, this is the only part of the episode I like. It's, but that's because you are an archaeology geek. It's just him asking Troy, does this sound alright? I'm not an archaeologist. I don't want them to think I'm too big for my boots. Is this okay? And she just essentially... She, she pats him on the head and goes, yes. <laughs> and walks off. That's that's the whole interaction. <laughs> Do I count from 1 to 10 or 10 to 1? 
Yeah, Picard is going to be delivering a like guest lecture to an archaeology conference in which he's apparently going to present a theory, so I don't know if this means that he's a kind of Von Daniken crackpot. <laughs> Although I guess it's canonical that in the world of Star Trek, ancient aliens visiting primitive cultures is something that happens all the time, so... Or maybe just could have had a sideshow in archaeology. I didn't spot that when he went back into his quarters... There was the uh, the yeah. sex idol on the coffee table, but I'm guessing actually that was probably Vash that put that rather there. Rather than just being it, just, it was a permanent feature. Yeah, because it wasn't his, was it? He he brought it back for Riker. Yeah, after Riker tricked him on Captain's yes. Holiday. Yeah, so this brings back a character from a previous Goofy episode, <laughs> where so yeah, Captain's Holiday, Picard goes to Space Sex Vegas. Um, because he gets tricked by being told it's an archaeology conference, as I recall, um, where he meets and has a whirlwind romance with, um, I pronounce that very Lady Gaga then, um, he has a whirlwind romance with uh, female Indiana Jones in space, who is the character who's just turned up. I was going to I was gonna go with Space Lara Croft, but, you know, there's yeah, Indiana Jones. Uh, neither of them really steal it for themselves I didn't use that reference only because Lara Croft's a lesbian wait what? I mean my exposure to that game is exclusively through Tumblr so it's possible I'm <laughs> misreading it slightly <laughs> ah the Tumblr filter it's not good but yeah Vash is the character who is the co- comically ill-suited love interest for Captain Picard which I always thought they were going to make more of but never did this was her second and final appearance in The Next Generation it's because Picard keeps turning her down. She keeps turning up and going, hey, want to run away and plunder some temples with me? And he goes, no, I can't. I have a starship to run. So she goes, okay. Do you want to come and be chaotic neutral with me? No, thanks. I'm lawful good. <laughs> <laughs> it would be incredibly ill-suited because Picard is as square as they come these days. And Vash really isn't. I thought there was another episode... In which Picard doesn't he kind of infiltrate a India? Well, not an Indiana Jones, I suppose a Belloc style artifact theft ring, doesn't he? No, uh, he does in one, um, and they think he's been killed, and they go to investigate, and they realise that he's actually with a bunch of like space pirates. The uh, the scene that's just um, up for me now is. Picard and Vash sitting down having croissants and coffee when the doorbell rings and Dr. Crusher turns up for breakfast in her medical blue top. And um, Picard looks like a naughty schoolboy who's just been caught with a, uh, yeah, a horn mag. pretty much. Alright, I said before that the only part I liked was Picard being comically adorable about his archaeology speech, but I also like him being completely out of his depth in how to handle... Two love interests. On again, off again, ex-girlfriend to the lady he normally has coffee and croissants with. (laughs) And the first story being, where did you meet on the sex planet? (laughs) (laughs) We're now just watching Picard being so incredibly awkward as Beverly and Vash are so incredibly engrossed in their conversation. And, yeah, they're both trying to turn the cringe factor up on one another, aren't they? They they know they have him between a rock and a hard place. I mean, a theme of this episode is that Picard does not share personal details with his crew. 
Except he seems to do that a lot, really. Or maybe I just think that because he did in the last episode. Only when forced to. But I don't think anyone in the last episode was really in uh, the right frame of mind to be able to absorb his uh, admissions. Well, that's true, I suppose. Yeah, we talked over it before, Dan, but you're correct that Beverly's casual wear is basically a Starfleet uniform except in an off-the-shoulder model. (laughs) And cable knit. It it must go back to her folksy roots. Not all doctors are necessarily folksy. Her family is, though. I I do like how Riker spots Vash coming in and immediately starts to hit on her. It is the Riker manoeuvre. I'm not so sure it is a competitive cringe factor here, but the looks between Riker and Beverly, I definitely check this out. (laughs) Hot gossip. (laughs) I mean, is Riker just on a lunch break? Is it not his shift? What's going on? Why is he sat in Tim Ford in the middle of the day just drinking? I mean, where did Picard go when they went for the little tour? Because he's not on the bridge. Like, Wolf's at his station. Geordie and Data are just kind of geeking out on the uh, the internet terminal at the back of the bridge. I suppose they are just in orbit, so maybe he's in his ready room. His True. side office. Where his replicator and his toilet are in the same little cubby. Does Wolf not ever got, get a bit fed up? And I suppose he is a Klingon, but a non-Klingon person at the tactical station or the, the Enterprise would get quite achy legs standing up all day. He's the only one that doesn't get a chair. Maybe they do a job job rotation. <laughs> he was indeed in the ready room because he comes out to see Vash kind of lounging <laughs> in his chair, stroking He's, the arms. He was sat at the computer watching the, the security feeds. Where is she? Where is it? She's in my goddamn chair. <laughs> yeah, casually caressing the buttons that self-destruct the ship. <laughs> That's right, they've all got Touch ID built in. Because that works so well. <laughs> Picard's face in that scene is hilarious. I think I know the answer, but it's always struck me as weird that the Enterprise apparently orbits all planets sideways on. And continuously turns left as it does so. <laughs> yeah, it puts the pl- the planet to port rather than down. I would not just that the fact that it like doesn't just orbit in a flat plane; it it turns, it flies in a circle. Yeah, but then Newtonian mechanics had never really featured that strongly in Star Trek. <laughs> it would be a very weird aesthetic, and again, I've got a feeling this is something I'm going to say, and it's going to turn out this is the major theme of the second half of Discovery or something. But it would be a very jarring divergence from the standard Star Trek aesthetic if they did start meeting other ships at like 45 degree angles. <laughs> no, I, I don't don't think they do. Well, that's because in Star Trek, space works like water and all the yes. starships are submarines. <laughs> that is it. Yeah. I mean, it's even like when they go to have the massive space battles in like Deep Space Nine where they all just form up in a big wall, all the same orientation. Oh, and at, what, about 11 minutes into the episode, Q turns up and it's all terrible from now on. <laughs> yeah. All the fun we've had seeing Captain Picard be over-enthusiastic and then slightly awkward, that's finished now. We've got about another five minutes or so where he's going to set up the premise and then it's just going to be capering about in the forest at the back <laughs> of the Universal Studios. There, there is not a better way to put that. I said Universal Studios, I guess it was Paramount or something, I don't know. I do love that Q's entire reason for being here is 
I have signed. I have a favor that I owe you. You need to make a call on this now. Okay, I'm going to put you in a situation where you have to make a call on it now. <laughs> there, that done. Oh yeah, one of the episodes we haven't watched was Q got kicked out for being shit at being Q, and the Enterprise stopped some weird alien from killing him, and then they got let back into the continuum. So he feels that he owes them. Didn't he get let back into the continuum because he learnt some humanity? I think that was the idea, yes. Yeah, he was Scrooge to Picard's ghost of Christmas, uh, past, present and future. <laughs> I had some respect for the this whole sequence where Q is attempting to figure out ways to pay back his favour. It comes <laughs> off just like Lucifer. <laughs> He's constantly saying, like, oh, your speech could use some help. I could help you with it. And it feels like he, they just... Story editing reason said, Oh, we've got to edit out all the parts where he says for a price and then cackles. <laughs> <laughs> I like when Q offers to take him down on a personal expedition. Picard seems to think about it for two seconds and then goes, No, no, that, that's just a bad idea. The thing with Q is he's a really annoying character, plays really well. Mm. I do like the size of Picard's iPad that he has at his desk in this episode. The 24th century has a chunky design aesthetic when it comes to iPads. <laughs> tiny... Ruggedized. <laughs> Sorry. You're just laughing at the one-liners. He wants to do something nice for me. <laughs> I'll alert the crew. It's now immediately suspicious of everyone and everything. I never noticed that the guest quarters have a window facing into the corridor. Yeah, with like a blind on it. I wonder if that's where yeah. the toilet lives. <laughs> it's like it's in the bedroom section. Yeah, maybe it's in the closet or something. Had I not remembered how this episode goes, at this point in the episode I was imagining some alternative storyline where they go on this clandestine mission to the ruins of Tagus 3 or whatever it's called, because they've set this up as the Forbidden Temptation. Yep. And then it just gets forgetting about, forgotten about... It does almost feel a little bit like an allegory for the uh, you know, the fall from Eden. You know, Picard is tempted and resists, Vash is tempted and succumbs to uh, to Q, who we've already decided is actually, in fact, Lucifer. I like how he discovers a... Uh, what's the word? A damage in the form of a, of a surveyor's pole, except it's got holographic foil on it to make it science fiction. <laughs> And a collapsible shovel. I don't like how Q is just apparently hanging out on the outside of the ship. Everybody sticks his head through the wall. Yeah. I have to admit, I didn't notice that before. I don't know if that's because I was watching it on a phone while doing dishes and had like soap suds on the screen or something. <laughs> also, like how everyone else on the ship seems to have space pajamas and space blankets on their beds. Except for Picard, who has a sensible pair of pyjamas and sensible duvets and pillows. But he also lives on his own, but sleeps on one side, side of, the of the double bed. bed. Yeah. Rather than you know, spread-eagled in the middle. Well, we don't know if he would or would not be spread-eagled if he didn't have Satan perched on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the duvet and pyjamas combination is an affectation on Picard's part? It's like sleeping under a, a bearskin or something. Always prepared in case he has to dash to the bridge at three in the morning. And, you know, have a diplomatic incident at 
stupid a clock in his pyjamas. I mean, this is the last space pyjamas because there's a massive V-neck that goes all the way yeah, down to there, his belly button. Yeah, there is. <laughs> I just noticed his V-neck. That, that is a creepy line from Q of, if I realised it would get your soft side, I would have appeared as a female. But I think it would have been better if in that moment Q did turn into a woman, at least for a little bit, and then decide against it. <laughs> but who would you get to play female Q? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, I want to say Gates McFadden, but that might be too weird. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to pause for a moment to pay our respects to the dude who spent all morning in makeup so that he could be a blue Andorian or something, whose job <laughs> is to walk from screen left to a chair, sit down in it as the camera pans over, and then is done for the day. What about Mr. Wartsface in front yeah. of him? Oh, Picard's got his dress uniform on, didn't he I just spot that. Although none of the other officers have. Well, they're not delivering their guest speech. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's The point you know it's getting silly is when the hat wedge starts to appear. Well, the hat appears on Beverly's head and then Troy's. And it's like, oh, God. Yeah, we've hit the inflection point on the goof graph. <laughs> it's almost exactly halfway through the episode. Data gets his, uh, his cowl and a uh, big... Turkey leg? Like a lamb? Haunch beef or something. And then Picard goes full men in tights. He does go full Robin Hood. Complete with little goatee beard. Never got full Robin Hood. Well, the Errol Flynn beard. I wonder if he grew it for the episode and then had to shave it off to do all the uh, Captain Picard bits. I very much doubt that. I mean, Yeah, I assume that's on the Sticky tape. She say he looks like Errol Flynn. That was apparently one of the uh, one of the mm-hmm. writer's favourite films. Was the Errol Flynn version of Robin Hood? And apparently, the only two of the main cast. Ah, oh, I talked over the line. You it's did. The best line in the episode. <laughs> over the gif. So they're all trying to work out who they are from May, uh, Robin Hood. I want to say May Marion and her Merry Men, but that shows my age. <laughs> Robin Hood. Uh, Robin Hood about Wolf being a Merry Man. I protest! I am not a merry man! Which leads into actually another scene that I enjoyed, which is Worf basically saying, I refuse to play along with this for Q's amusement. Then some NPC antagonist turns up and sneers at them from a horse. And Worf immediately goes, yes, roll initiative. (laughs) To be fair, (laughs) horse guy does draw his sword. Yeah, but he draws his sword way over the other side of the clearing and then Worf just does a 40-foot charge at him with a broadsword or something. I do like how when Picard shouts Mr. Wolf, that's an order they both stop sword fighting to allow Wolf to escape. <laughs> he takes the disengage action. The only two of the main cast that had any sword training were Gates McFadden and Marina Sirtis. Yes. I... There's going to be a sword fight later and the with female characters are going to be delegated to smashing pots over people's heads. Despite the fact that they're clearly armed. It's area appropriate because we all know if we think of Joan of Arc, what she mostly did is throw the English out of France by smashing pots over their heads and looking <laughs> at the camera. God damn it, Star Trek. I mean, you, you've got to give props to the costume department on this one. I mean, I have a feeling that this episode was entirely for their benefit. Like we are, we are tired of making Starfleet uniforms. We're going to revolt if we don't get something interesting. 
And fine, we'll do a Robin Hood episode. Fill your boots. <laughs> Apparently part of this as well was because it was just before um, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves came out. Hmm. So there's a lot of interest in the... Uh, is Robin Hood a genre? It's probably not really, <laughs> yes. is it? Yes, it is. It has had more than enough films, remakes and spoofs that it's its own genre. Isn't there a new one either coming out or has just come out and already failed? There is another one coming out. There was the Russell Crowe one a little while ago, but there is another one yeah. on its way out. The Russell Crowe one has a firm place in my memory because it came out... I was working in Bristol at the time, and in Bristol, the way they tell you if a film isn't really worth going to see is they advertise it on the buses. <laughs> <laughs> but that Robin Hood film with Russell Crowe came out just before that advertising company and its pay us to tell everyone your film isn't very good business model completely failed. Which means that those posters getting increasingly fail, faded and ragged stayed on the stayed on the buses for like the next six months. <laughs> Ridley Scott made that film. Yes, yeah, he did. he did. Why is Vash's hair in shackles? <laughs> Apparently, where she tripped up on the dress at that point, that wasn't scripted at all. But they kept it in because she kept uh, kept she acting. Just, she rolled with it. At least Q fills his worlds with helpful NPCs. What I also didn't realise is Guy of Gisborne was Emperor Palpatine until like 1997. Was he? As in, he did the voice of Emperor Palpatine in the original Empire Strikes Back before they then remastered in in McDermott in the uh, special Uh, editions. Robin Hood plus American accents just reminds me very much of Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yeah. That and Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Well, Robin Hood Men in Tights, the whole point of that was it was taking the piss out of Prince of Thieves. <laughs> Unlike some Robin Hoods, I have a British accent. <laughs> there is a high variance on Robin Hood films. A slight tangent. A podcast I was listening to on the way home had uh, an NPC. That was a and d podcast, by the way. I had an NPC called oh, Wesley no. in it. And one of the player characters, as soon as that was, uh, when they asked him a question, was like, as you wish... And I'd have been saying in my head, someone say that, someone say that, someone say that. Yes! Ah, pay off. And I didn't have to wait very long either. I forgot about the bit where Geordie's sat happily, learning, strumming away on his mandolin poorly. And Wolf gets up, comes over, and he's like, may I? And he's like, that just a whack. And hands it back and apologises. That apparently is an homage to a film I haven't seen. Yeah, I've not seen that film either. For those of you who haven't read uh, IMDb, uh, it's Animal House. I have not seen Animal House either. If Troy's aim is improving and she managed to hit Data in the stomach, how bad was it five minutes ago? <laughs> Probably landed two foot in front of her feet. <laughs> Don't dun, split dun, the party. Dun. Yeah, Picard has clearly never played D&D. In order to create some narrative tension, uh, Q said the rules are we're going to execute Maid Marian brackets Vash tomorrow unless you attempt a daring rescue. And then, so Picard at this point has said, all right, fine, I'll attempt a daring rescue then. <laughs> but the rest of you just hang out here and continue to do goofy stuff in the forest. Absolutely do not turn up at the end of Act 3. Whereas Vash is taking matters into her own hands. In a very chaotic, neutral kind of way. <laughs> I know we keep referencing D&D in this, 
but it does fit so well. She she straight up seduced him. She rolled well on her charisma deception check. <laughs> I'll say this for the episode, it seems like they had fun making it. Yeah, I would say they did. No, You can tell no one's really taking themselves too seriously in it. I mean, we're what, halfway through season four? They've got to feel fairly confident in the franchise at this stage. Yeah. It's, it's stable enough to do a goofy Robin Hood episode. <laughs> But then, I mean, they did the Naked Now in episode two, so maybe they're never that worried about it. <laughs> yeah, that was what I was thinking with that little train of thought. At that moment, it was like, fuck it, we may never see season two. We need to up the ante early on. Pull the drama tab. Let's free some human popsicles. I've just noted, sorry, side note, I've just noticed it's like five to nine and there's 15 minutes left in the episode. You don't have to drive back to Oxfordshire or anything, do you? No, it's all good. Okay, cool. Phone call at 10 o'clock, I'll do. (laughs) You are literally phoning it in. Watching this with the sound down, it is now slightly reminiscent of uh, Shaun of the Dead in that Picard takes a good 40 seconds to climb in through the window. (laughs) 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 You can tell how which, not just Patrick Stewart, but Picard is now kind of actually quite enjoying himself with this. Do you think? I still read this as annoyed. Well, that's the way he jumps off the table and just kind of held both hands up when, look at me, I'm Robin Hood. (laughs) Predictable game timing, just as he throws Vash over his shoulder, in comes the villain. Chaotic neutral playing both ends against the middle, draws the sword, or draws Picard's sword only, draws Picard's own sword against him. Ah! Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. (laughs) <laughs> That's a callback to a, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> oh, in a verse far, far away. I mean, I've already complained about women's roles in this episode. The one thing that slightly saves it is that Vash does continually surprise Q. <laughs> yeah, he does keep misunderestimating her. Admittedly, while she's surprising him from her role as a prize to be won by the male protagonists, but nonetheless... Oh, she's also left-handed, writing with a quill. And the paper doesn't appear to be just one horrible black smear. Yeah. Well, it should be now that she's folded wet ink upon itself. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> <laughs> this is just so ridiculous. We're just sat here in silence while, Q, while Q's monologuing. And... The, I mean, it is a good monologue, but I still find it hard to believe that Q has not found a woman to study. And it seems to be that he wants to study her because she has a lot of masculine, or in inverted commas, masculine traits of, you know, I'm going to look out for myself and screw you, Jack. Or John Luke in this case. I have a question about Q. He's supposed to be, and I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly on purpose, omnipotent. <laughs> is he supposed to be also be omniscient? But he's isn't he meant to be able to exist and be in all places and time at the same time? Because he can travel back in time and into the future and across vast distances in a click of a finger, so he's essentially everywhere. Yeah, he seems to live quite a, a linear existence. Yeah, why is he always so constantly surprised? I mean, this is why I think he should never have been written into the series in the first place, and I've 
distressed to discover as rewatching it as an adult that he's actually kind of a linchpin of the whole arc of the series. Yeah. Maybe he just likes to overplay his hand. Whilst he can go to different places in time and to space, he hasn't actually been there to all of them. And so his linear existence of I can be anywhere, anytime, he just hasn't done it all yet. (laughs) Is he just going to wait to the end of the universe and then go back to the beginning and try again? Yeah. Do something differently. How many Q that they could be. No, that's that's gonna have some messed up multiverses. I like how Data disassembles himself to cause a diversion by throwing some like weird arm nugget into the fire. Yeah. One a capacitor what, or something. What does arm nugget do? And what does it mean Data can't do now why he needs to get a new arm nugget? Yeah. Also, what is the likelihood of Data just exploding at any you know without doing <laughs> anything? If he gets a little bit warm. Uh, I love this bit, actually. I, all I could think is that Picard has definitely been studying Kirk Fu for this fight. Um, this fight took me a little bit by surprise, because you know, Picard straight up murders people in this. Yeah, lots of the bridge officers do, including Geordie, who I mean, alright, Worf hacks someone in half with a sword, fine, he does that on the Hollow Suite every weekend anyway. I do not believe that Geordie knows how to use a sword. Geordie runs someone through. I don't believe that Geordie knows how to play baseball. <laughs> he strikes me as a guy who was inside reading books. So guy gets run through, and there's still blood on the sword when Picard pulls it out. And then you hear him murder the two guards outside Vash's room. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, all these characters, all these um, apparently independent consciousnesses are getting etch-a-sketched in about 25 seconds anyway. Um, yeah. Ah, uh, his Picard's fantastic one-liner. <laughs> I'm not from Nottingham. I mean, it's not up there with Eowyn's, or possibly some from The Princess Bride, but... Hell, it's not really up there with I'm not a merry man. <laughs> nah. No, but it, it... It's possible that part of the reason I dislike this episode so much is that it... Reading about it and watching it, it plays into a lot of misconceptions people have about the Middle Ages that annoy me. It's it's very romanticised and fairy tale. One question I do have: some of these sets seem quite familiar. Um, which studio released <laughs> Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves? <laughs> Was this episode written just because they had bits of scenery still kicking about in the back lot that they wanted to get another use out of? All right. Question: When Q eventually gives up on his um, scheme and returns them to the conference room, all the other delegates have gone somewhere. This has been played out in real time. Yeah, that's my question. Did they just kind of look at each other awkwardly and then eventually file out? Someone went, found a security officer and went, um, so the entire senior staff just disappeared? Um, we <laughs> we left the conference. We're going to go get a drink and not 10 forward? Uh, Prince of Thieves was Warner Brothers. Was it? It's a shame. If it had been Paramount, then I definitely would have agreed with you. <laughs> but then, hey, the uh, the scenery may have been built by a third party. May have. It's Picard getting all romantical with Jungle Vash. Is he going in for the smooch? When it's revealed, sad trombone. She's going to go and explore the explore the multiverse with Q now, at least for another like year and a half or so before she gives up and goes back to 
Bajor or something. Ends up on Deep Space Nine with some ill-gotten gains that threaten everyone. Basically with a dragon egg. Because, like, oh, we do that all the time. So that, as for those of you that are watching the episode along with us at time, Q has just said that he's going to take Vash to places that no human has ever seen, which is pretty much Picard's day job. Yeah, that's literally in our opening crawl. It is our mission statement, <laughs> which I'm sure is no mere coincidence. Although in this instance, they obviously have brought Vash to somewhere people have gone before. But not for a few thousand years, because they got told no. <laughs> yeah. For walking off the path too much. But the fact that her her explorer's helmet had to have well, a bit of silk or something tied around it, just so you know it was a lady's explorer's hat. Let's <laughs> go for the Amelia Earhart vibe. What? Flying boots, bomber jacket, and you no know, trousers. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure that's the best <laughs> historical reference, but I'm struggling <laughs> to think of who it should be. Probably not. I mean, the answer is probably a weird 1920s spin-off of Lara Croft, but... <laughs> true, true. Oh, what I did notice is when the Enterprise flies through shot to disappear at the end of the episode, it is exactly the same bit that happens at the end of the opening credits. Ah, they reused it. They did reuse it. Well, they spent all that money on fancy costumes and scenery. Kind of castle, a literal castle. Kind of <laughs> been a cheap episode to make. It had a very last day of school vibe to it to me. <laughs> yeah, we can't bother to do proper lessons, so we'll just have a bit of a laugh instead. We're going to put some videos on. We're going to play some games. I mean, the irony is that the very next episode is the drumhead, which is incredibly heavy. <laughs> oh, is that the um, the witch hunt? As in, yeah, not it's... a literal witch hunt, but as in, like, everyone's betrayed Starfleet. I don't remember that episode. I have to reopen Wikipedia. Yeah, there's a, it's a, they suspect sabotage partly because they've got a Klingon scientist on board who then does turn out to be a spy, except not a saboteur. <laughs> but they have some Starfleet admiral in who then proceeds to root out the corruption, <laughs> for which that, I mean bring charges against basically everyone. Yeah, that always ends well. That's rad. Why? Why did we pick that episode? That's got Nathan written all over it. <laughs> yeah, that. What are we actually watching next? Well, you'll be pleased to know that we have a good episode next. <laughs> huzzah! Although I did kind of enjoy. I'm just going to scroll one. down the list and see. Well, not huzzah, but Temba, his arms wide. All oh, right. Darmok and Jalad. At Tanagra. Yeah, we've actually got a run of a couple of really good episodes. I think this one is actually kind of an opinion splitter. I've definitely seen some people put it in their like bottom ten percent. It's it's quite cerebral. It's not very action packed, but it's a really good episode. Well, there's a well, not to steal too much from next week, but there's a premise, and if you can't accept that premise, then it's a very stupid episode. True. But most people do, and I'm one one of them. So oh yeah, I'm definitely one of them. It's going to put us about like halfway through the the run of Star Trek in total. So it is, well, season five, episode two. So seven series, actually, sort of. In fact, yeah, Cupid is just over halfway through. In fact, Night Terrace was almost exactly halfway through the run of TNG. I think season five is possibly what was on TV at the time, because there's definitely a run here where I remember almost every episode. I think season five was probably about the age where we would remember it live. 
I watched a lot of them where my mum recorded them all on VHS. So I would have probably then gone back and watched a lot of them that way. Yeah, season five's got tons of ones I recognise. Ensign Row, Disaster, The Game, Unification, Hero Worship, love that one. Cause and Effect, my favourite episode of the whole franchise. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to say any more because I've got a feeling they're actually going to be on our discussion list. <laughs> so. I was trying to see, think if I could remember any of the other bits from the next episode to, to end on, but I can't because I already mm-hmm. used the ones I can remember. Yeah, I think those three bits or so are what everyone remembers. I say everyone. I mean, massive nerds remember. <laughs> Do you remember when the walls fell? Shaka when the walls fell, yeah. That's it. <laughs> oh, that's work. On that note, All right, then. I'll catch you guys later. Later, status. Sir, I protest. I am not a merry man. That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding.